everyone. Man, this is a fun day to be here. I mean, how cool is this? And Will is as calm as a cucumber and all that sort of stuff. You know, there's no stress for him. And uh, um, it has been my privilege to get to know Will over uh, the last couple of years. And, and specifically, maybe even more in this last year. And, uh, and we get to meet together via video call once a month to uh, help him not screw up. <laughs> and uh, no, I'm just teasing. Uh, but we talk about, uh, about uh, um, all things related to ministry, and I'm so excited for him and uh, for Polly and the family and, as, and just this new day, this new day where he gets to lead uh, this thing that God is doing at West Hills. And so we're so excited at Convergent in America for, for, for all of that and for what God uh, will be doing here in the months and years to come. You know, I've, I've kind of found myself uh, kind of in preparing for this service, kind of getting nostalgic a little bit. Uh, as I kind of think back uh, on my own call to ministry uh, more than just a few years ago, um, seems like it's getting longer and longer ago, um, I was in college and I was pretty sure that I wanted to be a music teacher. Um, that was until I had my first um, classroom experience, field ed thing that I had to go to and realize that teachers wake up really early in the morning. And uh, I realized, I just don't think I want to be a music teacher anymore. Um, at the same time, I was taking a class at Bethel University in St. Paul, Minnesota, go Royals. And uh, I was taking a class entitled Music and Worship. And it was like, God began to stir a passion in me uh, to lead the church as a worship pastor. And at the same time, as the shades go up. <laughs> At the same time, coincidentally, uh, I don't think there are coincidences, but I, I was attending a church in Minneapolis that understood the, the ideas of worship in ways that I had never seen before. And, and, and so this call, you know, it, it wasn't this sort of Damascus Road experience with a bright light and, and there I saw Jesus. It, it wasn't like that. But as I look back and, and kind of think through what that was, I clearly knew that this passion was from God and, and that he's, he's the one who stirred that in me. And what I now know to be a call to ministry, and, and it ignited a flame in me that has been fanned now for some 30 years. And although my role as pastor has changed and morphed over the years, that call to lead Christ's church has never gone away. But as I've been kind of waxing nostalgic, uh, I wonder if I would have known how hard it was if I would have accepted the call. I'm not talking about the physical and mental strain. Well, there's not a whole lot of physical strain, as, as one might see as they look at me. But they're, they're, I'm not talking about that because that's common in any job. And quite frankly, it's a whole lot more intense in a lot of jobs. I'm talking about the spiritual and emotional burden that it is uh, to be pastor. 
You know, when you plead with people to accept the gift of salvation through Christ and you see absolutely no visible change in them at all. When you invest in discipling people whom you love and you care for and you just bleed for and they leave your church because they just decide it's just not the right fit anymore. I wonder if I would have accepted the call if I knew what it would feel like to be at the bed of a dying person and desperately wanting to say something helpful and valuable and instead, nada. I got nothing of value to say because I can't figure out myself why God is doing what he's doing. Or to sit in a counseling session with a married couple who has decided that they're done with each other and they're getting a divorce and and you know that nothing you're going to say is going to change your mind. I am so glad that God doesn't reveal those things to us in advance because I'm not sure anyone would accept the call to pastor. I mean, this is pretty encouraging so far, isn't it, Will? (laughs) But here's the thing. Mixed in with all of these types of difficulties, we get to experience immense joy and satisfaction as we are given a front row seat as pastors to witness some of the amazing things that God does. Watching the Holy Spirit take the scales off someone's eyes as they make decisions to follow Christ. There's nothing better than that. Getting, getting to participate in baptizing people who you have watched communicate that they are all in for the gospel. Sitting with husbands and wives in counseling who do choose to fight for their marriages instead of giving up. Seeing people healed from life-threatening illnesses and, and the God moments in worship and prayer that I'm, I'm telling you I can only describe as kind of heavenly experiences. But make no mistake, accepting the call to pastor is a dangerous calling. And the minute uh, that that you say yes to this calling, you awaken a, a spiritual battle in the heavenlies that wage war for your soul, the soul of your family, and the soul of the church. And my fear is that many who enter ministry today don't necessarily get this dangerous nature of the call. Over a century ago, many brave men and women called to missions were called one-way missionaries. Uh, they, They bought tickets to the mission field without the return half. And instead of suitcases, they packed their few earthly belongings into a coffin. And so as they sailed away, imagine sailing away, waving goodbye to everyone that they loved and all that they knew, knowing that they would never see them again, that they would never return home. I mean, these saints understood that they were embarking on a dangerous calling. Charles Spurgeon, known as the people's preacher, he's widely considered as one of the greatest preachers of all time. He had a reputation as a powerful preacher with this cheery wit and cigar-smoking manliness. What many people don't know is that Charles Spurgeon had a lifelong battle full of physical and mental pain. 
at age 22 as pastor of a large church and with twin babies at home to look after. He was preaching to thousands in the Surrey Gardens Music Hall when some pranksters yelled, fire! And it started a panic to exit the building, which killed seven people and left 28 severely injured. And it's written that Spurgeon's mind was never the same again. From the age of 33, he suffered from a burning kidney inflammation called Bright's disease, as well as gout, rheumatism, and neuritis. The pain was such that it soon kept him from preaching for one-third of the time. Added to that, overwork, stress, and the guilt about the stress began to take their toll. And all of this was in the public eye and was jumped on by his many critics, arguing that all that was happening to Spurgeon was a judgment from God. Spurgeon came to the conclusion that those who never have to push through the waves of difficulty never grow in strength and maturity like those who do. Those who live in the lap of luxury and never experience the discipline of trouble tend always to be more frail and feeble in their faith. Spurgeon said, trouble can strengthen and trouble can reveal the work that needs to be done in us. He said, tears can clear the eye so that we can see with an improved vision and perspective. I think Spurgeon understood that the call to pastor was a dangerous calling. So Will, as you officially become the lead pastor of West Hills Church, you know as well as I do that this is an amazing but a dangerous call. I shared with you and the other guys last week this John Maxwell story uh, where he discovered, much to his shock, that seven out of every 10 seminary students he graduated with didn't finish well in ministry. That's a stunning and, quite frankly, sadly accurate statistic. We know all too well in recent days, don't we, uh, how even famous and godly leaders have lost their moorings, failing to finish well in ministry. So how are you, Will Duvall, not only going to continue to survive as you begin this dangerous calling, but how are you going to thrive as you begin this new responsibility as lead pastor? Well, I think first and foremost, you're going to have to devote yourself to prayer. Number one, Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, verse 1, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Paul is saying to this young pastor, Timothy, that it is critical and a matter of first importance to make prayer a priority in your life as pastor. And so, Will, you're going to need to be an example to the church as to the importance of prayer. Where's prayer going to be scheduled in the life of the church that communicates its priority? How important is prayer in worship services? What about your meetings? Do they begin and end in seasons of prayer? Do you interrupt gatherings and meetings with prayer? And is there this sort of organic culture of prayer that, that people are just praying for each other all over the place in the hallways? Someone comes in and says, what are they doing? Oh, they're just praying. It happens all the time. Prayer needs to saturate everything that West Hills does. But Will, it's going to be important that prayer saturate, saturates everything that you do in your life personally as well. Martin Luther is quoted as saying, I have so much business, I cannot get on without spending three hours daily in prayer. 
John Wesley, one of the greatest preachers again of all time, devoted two hours daily to prayer. This is a man who preached two or three times a day, seven days a week. I mean, these guys were busy people. And if anybody had reason to find other ways to use their time, it was these guys. But they knew that they would not be, quote unquote, successful to the dangerous call of pastor without devoting themselves to the priority of prayer. So, Will, I strongly believe that West Hills Church will not go beyond the prayer life of you as their pastor. I believe that. You've got to lead the way corporately, and you've got to lead the way personally with prayer first. Secondly, you've got to devote yourself to the word. 2 Timothy 4, instructs, Paul instructs Timothy to preach the word Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside the myths. But you... Keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. I mean, I'm telling you what, we live in a day and age today when people that carry this title of pastor will share all sorts of crazy things just to gather a crowd. We hold God's word in our mouths every time we stand before people. And we're going to be held to an an account before the Father as to how we handled this word. So we'll be careful as you craft your sermons. There is no greater task that you will accomplish every week than putting together the preaching of God's word. Give it the appropriate time, the energy, and the creativity that it deserves. And remember too, Preaching is not the same as teaching. The purpose of teaching, well, that's largely information, and and there are certainly elements of teaching in every sermon. But the real purpose of preaching is transformational. We, we, We should want to be different people, more like Jesus in our homes and in our workplaces and in our schools because the challenges that you bring from God's word each week And so you're going to need to give yourself the time to not only craft sermons that communicate the gospel in a way that draws people to Christ, but also grows them in their walk with Christ. But again, I I want to challenge you, just like with prayer, to not simply be devoted to the word in sermon prep. Devote yourself to the word in everything that you do. Meditate on it. Study it. Pray through it. Let it guide every decision that you make as pastor. Next, equip and love God's people. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. This passage, Will, reminds us that you are not to be a doer of ministry, but the equipper of ministry. 
Make sure you all understand this because we as the body of Christ mistakenly believe that we hire a pastor and a pastoral staff to do the work of ministry and then we get the privilege of being the consumers of that ministry. That's baloney. As pastors, our job is to constantly have our head on a swivel intentionally focusing on who God might desire for us as pastor to invest in, to equip, and I would argue to unleash people for ministry. There is no greater joy than to see people use the gifts that they have been given to build up the body of Christ. It's a blast. But don't just equip the body. You need to love the body. Give yourself fully to the call to love the people that God gives you. Remember in Sunday school back in the day, this is the church, this is the steeple, open the door and what? See all the people. There you go, I heard that. That silly phrase reminds us that the call to pastor is not a call to a building or, or, or a program of some sort. It is a call to God's people. So love them with all your heart. Next, a gut-wrenching burden for lost people. You know how you can read a passage of Scripture and read it over and over over the years and, and, and without any sort of major aha moments and that's great and everything and then all of a sudden, bam, the Holy Spirit illuminates a portion of Scripture and it changes everything. Well, that happened to me recently, uh, and, and I have been destroyed by a statement of Paul in the book of Romans. It says in Romans 9, 1 through 3, I am speaking the truth in Christ. So lawyer Paul is saying, I'm going to tell you something right now, and you ain't going to believe it. So I'm telling you the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. Are you ready for this? that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Do you understand what Paul is saying in that? He, he, he is saying that he is so burdened to see his Jewish brothers and sisters know salvation through Jesus that he would be willing to go to eternal punishment in hell forever and ever if it meant that they would come to know Jesus. That is a gut-wrenching burden for lost people. So Will, it is critical for us as pastor to live this way. Each Sunday, there's going to be people listening to you that need to hear the gospel of Jesus. Each cup of coffee that you share at Starbucks with someone you know who does not yet know Christ will be an opportunity to share with them the burden that you have for them to know Christ. And this isn't some sort of organizational burden, you know, where we get someone to sign on the spiritual dotted line. It's a love for lost people that compels us as, as pastor to prioritize all of what you do in the church, all of what you're going to do here at West Hills Church, so that people would come to know this amazing gift of, of salvation that changes everything for us. It's the best gig ever. So may you, Will, and may West Hills Church 
be the fulfillment of Romans 10, 13 through 15, which says, for everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that great? But how then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Next, you need to have humility and patience. I can never understand uh, to this day how a pastor can be overcome with ego. I mean, after all, we stand before God and we give an account to him as to how we shepherd his people, and that should make each of us as pastor a bit nauseous. But I do know that pride is insidious, and it creeps up on us without much warning. And pastor and author Paul Tripp speaks of his own struggle with pride, and he says this, without knowing what I was doing, that I was doing it, I took God's faithfulness to me, to his people, to the work of his kingdom, to his plan of redemption, and to his church as an endorsement of me. It wasn't, I'm one of the good guys, and God is behind me all the way perspective on my ministry, but more importantly, on myself. Will ministries are derailed because leaders begin to think that they have arrived and they don't do the protective things that they warn everyone else to do. It's not only naive, but it's stupid to think that we as pastors are free from sexual temptation, from fear of man, from envy and greed and pride and anger and doubt of God and bitterness and idolatry and the list goes on and on. West Hills, please know and remember that Pastor Will is in the same process of sanctification that is becoming more and more like Jesus that you all are in. That means that he's susceptible to the same sin that we're susceptible to. So your responsibility is to pray for your pastor every day. And Will, don't forget that we shine the light of God and his glory, not on our own glory. You've got to remind yourself to live every day in light of the words of Paul in Philippians 2, 3, where he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count more, others more significant than yourself. We must not only be humble, but we've got to be patient as a pastor as well. I shared this that last week with the guys, but I came across this thing called the giant bamboo of Asia. Have you heard of this thing? I, I, thought it, I thought it was fake. I thought it was fake news in, until I Googled it, and it's true. I mean, it's on Google. How can it not be? Uh, but uh, here's the deal with this giant bamboo of Asia. During the first four years of the life of this bamboo, people water and fertilize the plant with seemingly little or no results. Hardly anything happens. Then the fifth year, they again apply water and fertilizer, and in five weeks' time... The tree grows 90 feet in height. Unbelievable. So the obvious question is this. Did the Chinese bamboo tree grow 90 feet in five weeks, or did it grow 90 feet in five years? The answer is it grew 90 feet in five years. Because if at any time during those five years the people had stopped watering and fertilizing the tree, well, guess what? It would have died. So, Will, I promise you that you're going to get frustrated by what you haven't seen happen in the first year of your lead pastor ministry. 
But I promise you that you will be amazed looking back in five years as to what God does. So be patient. Your job is to faithfully water and fertilize the soil here at West Hills and allow God to bring the growth. And then finally, take care of your own soul. Henry Nguyen says, the main obstacle to loving God is service for God. Deuteronomy 4.9 says, only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. If we are not careful, our identity in and intimacy with Jesus slowly dissipates and over time, ministry begins to occupy center stage in our affections, in our time, and in our focus. In other words, we can inadvertently give our life and love to the work of the Lord while neglecting the Lord of the work. Paul Tripp says again, ministry had become my identity. No, I didn't think of myself as a child of God in daily need of grace in the middle of my own sanctification, still in a battle with sin, still in need of the body of Christ and called to pastoral ministry. No, I thought of myself as a pastor. That's it, bottom line. The office of pastor was more than a calling and a set of God-given gifts that had been recognized by the body of Christ. Pastor defined me. It was me in a way that proved to be more dangerous than I would have thought. My faith had become a professional calling. I remember in my own ministry, uh, spending years as a worship pastor and then preparing to give over leadership responsibility in that role to someone else. I'm telling you, it was hard. It was hard because so much of my identity as a worshiper was tied into my worship leading. And I remember God clearly speaking to my soul and saying, Brian, do you worship me because you're leading or do you worship me because I'm worth it? Will, take care of your soul. Invest in your relationship with God through Christ first and foremost. And make sure your service to him as pastor is just an outgrowth of your passionate love for God. Now for you guys, you're not off the hook. Number one, you all need to obey and submit. That is very un-American and very unbaptist. But scripture is pretty clear. Hebrews 13, 17 says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as though who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. In essence, this verse says, the pastor's job is hard enough as it is, and if you think you've got some things to say to your pastor, God is already holding him accountable for the way he shepherds the flock. Several reputable children, to children Christian organizations report that as many as 50% of pastors are so discouraged that they would leave the ministry if they could, but have no other way of making a living. That, my friends, should never happen at West Hills Church. Your pastor needs accountability. There is no doubt. We need to hold each other accountable. But support your pastor. Support him in ways that bring joy to his ministry. Secondly, be generous. 
1 Timothy 5.17 says, The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor. That means a good salary, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. So be generous to your pastor. I'm talking practically generous to your pastor. Love on him. Love on his family in real, practical, concrete ways. Be creative in your generosity to them. Pastor Will should never doubt your love for him and his family. Three, be realistic. Apparently, some astute Bible scholars have finally put together the portrait of the perfect pastor. And so this is what they've decided. So listen close, because I think Will is just all over in this. It's a beautiful thing. He preaches only 20 minutes, but thoroughly expounds the word. He condemns sin but never hurts anyone's feelings. He works from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. doing every type of work from preaching in the pulpit to janitorial work. He makes $100 a week, wears good clothes, buys good books regularly, has a nice family, drives a nice car, and gives $50 a week to the church. Aren't you amazing? Oh, by the way, he stands ready to give to any good cause also. He's 26 years old and has been preaching for 30 years. He's tall, short, thin, heavy set, and handsome, has one brown eye and one blue eye, and parts his hair down the middle. <laughs> Good luck with that. Uh, <laughs> left side, dark and straight, right side, blonde and wavy. He has a burning desire to work with teenagers and spends all his time with older people. He smiles all the time with a straight face because he has a sense of humor that keeps him seriously dedicated to the work. He calls on church members 15 times a day, spends all his time evangelizing the unchurched, and is never out of the office. That's Will Duvall, everyone. That's, that's it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So let me be clear to you all as a church, there are no perfect pastors. And as amazing as Will is, he too is not perfect He's got gifts and talents that God will continue to grow, but there are things that he's not gifted at. So be realistic with your pastor. Encourage him for who he is, not who you wish he would be. And then lastly, love his family. Love Will's family as you love Will. And so let me begin with Polly. You know what's harder than being a pastor? being a pastor's wife. In many ways, it can feel like living in a bubble. You hear all sorts of things that you've got to keep close to you. You share all the same burdens as your husband does. And oh, by the way, pastors are not always the easiest people to live with. You can ask my wife about that. So pray for Polly. Encourage her. Be a real friend to her, not a friend to kind of Get where you want to get. That happens sometimes. Support her. And Ellery, man, how can you not love Ellery? Having two children, I know firsthand that it can be hard to be a pastor's kid. Let me assure you, pastor's kids are just kids. Too often the church expects pastor's kids to behave like they're supposed to have some sort of spiritual aura around them that they can never live up to. My kids heard far too often, you shouldn't behave like that. After all, you're a pastor's kid. Friends, Ellery is absolutely adorable, 
but I'm quite confident that she was born with the same sin nature that your kids were born with. (laughs) And that she will disobey her parents just like your kids did and do. So let her be a kid. Love her, encourage her, and watch her as she grows in her love for Jesus. 1 Timothy 1, 6 through 9 says this, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us into a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace." Y'all have had amazing, that's a will thing right there, y'all. Y'all, y'all, you all had an amazing 29 plus years with Pastor Gary. You should always thank God for the faithful ministry he has had at West Hills. But God has a new song for you to sing. He has a new chapter in the story to write. He has new challenges and opportunities and blessings for you all to participate in. So we as the church need to be the oxygen that fans into flame the calling that God has given Will to be your pastor. And I want you to know that we at Convergement America, we're excited for this new day for West Hills and for Pastor Will. We're grateful to partner with you in the the kingdom purposes of Christ, knowing, as Paul said to the Philippians, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. So know that we will be praying for you. And we look forward to doing our part to encourage you you as you seek to spread the gospel, not only in this community right here, but all across the world as well. So Will, may God bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace.